FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. It's another extraordinary day in uh, Georgia politics, and we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about the news that David Perdue is, in fact, going to challenge Brian Kemp for the Republican nomination for uh, governor. When when we first got word about this yesterday, and I first saw Greg Bluestein's um, reporting on it, our new senior producer, Natalie Mendenhall, who's come down here from Milwaukee, uh, sent a text saying, will we ever have a slow news week in Georgia? No, Natalie, we simply will not. But but the news about Purdue's entry into the race really is monumental. And um, I'm really eager to talk to our panel about it this morning. Of course, as most of you know, I think by now, we're, we do the show live at 9, and so those of you who are listening at 2 in the afternoon, by then we may have seen a Purdue from a, a video from David Purdue announcing his candidacy formally. Um, we expect him to tweet in a little while that he's changing his Twitter handle uh, to uh, Purdue for governor, essentially. Um, and, and so we're going to talk about all that and more on the show today with Jim Galloway. It's Monday. He's my partner on the show, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Jim, uh, it, it, how would you rank this? It, this is one of the sing- most important stories since Ossoff and Warnock won the U.S. Senate and Joe Biden won, the, won Georgia uh, for the presidency. You know, you know every, every week— I'm here saying that Georgia is going to be the, in, in 2022, Georgia is going to be the epicenter of American politics. And every work week it becomes more and more true. I mean, this is, look, you, we, uh, you've, you've got a primary for governor now, a Republican primary for governor now that, that is really going to, I, I think, in many ways, define what the Republican Party of the future is going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll get into all that in just a couple of minutes. Emma Hurt with Axios Atlanta is here as well. Emma, you said before the show went on, we're going to talk in a while. You just uh, did an interview and posted it on Axios Atlanta with Lauren Grow Wargo, Stacey Abrams' campaign manager. And you said earlier you thought that was going to be the top story on Axios today. I'm afraid you're only second best today, Emma. <laughs> Indeed. It's uh, it's an occupational hazard at all times, but especially in Georgia politics today. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. I'm very glad that you are here. Eric Tannenblatt is back with us. Uh, you know, Eric is a longtime Republican insider. He has worked with uh, Republican presidential candidates going all the way back to uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush in 1988, worked for a long time with Senator Paul Coverdale. He was um, the uh, chief of staff for the first term of Governor Sonny Perdue, uh, among, and then worked also for Mitt Romney's uh, presidential campaign. So, Eric, I, I, as I said to you before the show, I didn't know if this was a day you're thrilled to be able to be here or you wish somehow you could escape us. <laughs> well, all I could say is I would have never thought 30-plus years ago that I would be uh, on the radio with you talking about an incumbent Republican governor being challenged by a former Republican senator. Uh, it's baffling to me. 
It's astonishing. Um, David Wilkerson is here with us for the first time. Uh, Democratic state representative from uh, Powder Springs, minority whip in the U- in the Georgia House. Um, David, we're very glad to have you here for your first appearance. And as we always try to do with a first-time panelist, just give us a snapshot for our listeners. Just give them a little something more to know about who you are. Well, thank you for having me here today. Um, as you said, it's my first time. I am uh, the minority whip, state representative out of Powder Springs area. I've been in the legislature since 2011, elected in 2010 prior to that. Did a lot of party politics with the Democratic Party. Uh, first African-American chairman out in Cobb County. Um, just enjoyed the process. Uh, CPA by trade. And uh, just happy to be here to talk about what we're going to discuss today. Well, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, all right, Jim Galloway, this has been rumored, the David Perdue entry for quite a while. And certainly we know that uh, Donald Trump has been uh, after Brian Kemp ever since Brian Kemp refused to support his contention that the Georgia election was rigged against him. Uh, the uh, former president has been goading or encouraging, however you want to look at it, somebody to take on uh, Kemp, and uh, he's been courting David Perdue for some time. During his last appearance here at a rally this summer, he actually called David Perdue out from the stage and and essentially said, where are you, David Perdue? Are you going to run for governor? Are you going to run? So, Jim, with all that in mind, I have to acknowledge that for weeks and weeks, I've personally said on this show, I just didn't imagine it would actually happen. It didn't feel like David Perdue would be willing to roil the Republican Party the way his entry into the race uh, is going to do, is already doing. So, Jim, that's how wrong I can often be. Well, it is. Look, you know, it it is. You've got... The, the the rationale that he's put out there is is that the Republican Party is is already split uh, because of what Bra- Governor Brian Kemp and and Brad uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger refused to do. Uh, but uh, just imagine what this does to the, the 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 Republican primary as a whole. So you've got you've got with with Purdue challenging Brian Kemp. You've got every candidate, every Republican candidate below them on the ballot. They're going to be required to choose sides. They're going to be pressed to choose sides. If they're smart, they're, they will they will they will run far far away from this. But you know, uh, you've got Gary Black and and Herschel Walker uh, in the Senate race. You have uh, Jody Heiss uh, and 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 David Belisle and and Raffensperger in the race for Secretary of State, which I think is probably going to be the the most important race outside of the, of governor. But it's it's you, you've got all. Purdue is going to force people to choose sides, and that that's that that could carry well over into the in, in, into the general election. And and remember that you've got with Vernon Jones in the primary too. He's 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 still out there. You've got the possibility of a runoff in the primary, and then with with uh, with Shane Hazel of the Libertarian in the race for governor, you've got a a a a, a very real possibility of a of a runoff in the governor's race. Yeah, Shane Hazel, the Libertarian uh, candidate. Uh, Eric, um, David Perdue, uh, what, let's talk about David Perdue in the context of Donald Trump. There, there's no question that Donald Trump is essentially, by having getting David Perdue's involvement in this race, 
he's essentially building a Trump ticket in, in Georgia elections for 2022. You have been you have not been shy about expressing your concerns about Trump's influence on the party. Just how significantly do you think this impacts how Republicans move forward together? Is that even possible anymore? Well, Donald Trump won't be on the ticket, although, as we saw in the Senate runoff, Donald Trump influenced the outcome of that election. Uh, But I don't know that uh, David Perdue can win a general election against Stacey Abrams just with Donald Trump's supporters. I mean, he's going to have to reach out to uh, a broader audience and get, you know, the all Republicans uh, and independents. And, you know, that didn't work in January in the Senate runoff. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. David, David is a smart man, so I'm sure he's not going in this with his uh, eyes closed. But it is just baffling to me because, Brian Kemp has been, uh, you know, a good governor. The way he's handled COVID, you know, elections have a lot to do with the economic conditions of the state at the time of the election. The economy is good. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it is, I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, this is going to be a very competitive race. And David Perdue is going to have to work hard for this, uh, just as Brian Kemp will. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, Brian has demonstrated that, you know, when the rumors were out there that David was going to run, that, you know, he's not backing down. If anything, he, you know, upped his game. And so I think this is going to be a spirited contest. You know, I've talked to a lot of donors and political supporters that, like me, are are baffled by it, why, you know, we're we're even doing this. Um, I do think, and Jim makes a very good point, you know, if this goes into a runoff, whether it's Vernon Jones or someone else, it's just a, going to prolong, uh, you know, this uncertainty and this civil war within the within the party. And the person who benefits from that is uh, Stacey Abrams. I actually think Herschel Walker, in some ways, benefits from some of this too because it gives him more time uh, to, you know, get up to speed on issues in his Senate race, and there won't be as much scrutiny. Uh, or focus on the U.S. Senate primary as they will be on the governor's primary. This is going to be uh, this is going to be front and center. Uh, David, um, the Democrats have put out a note, essentially their statement saying that this is jaw-dropping news and that the entire landscape of 2022 just changed. How do you see it having changed for Democrats for Stacey Abrams? I think what you're going to see is uh, Stacey, former minority leader, is going to continue to do what she's done over the last few years is is focused on Georgia. And so while, um, you know, Governor Kemp and Purdue are going to fight over Trump's affections, I think what you're going to see is um, Stacey focusing on the Democrats as well as independents. And that's going to be the challenge, I think, on the Republican side is is how do you win back those independents? And I don't think Purdue would have gotten in if he didn't see the same thing that we see is that there's a lot of independents who are still concerned about their kids at school, um, making sure that they can go safely. There's rural hospitals that are closing. I think two have closed in the last several years. So um, Democrats, I think, are going to focus on being united. I think, you know, she's even talked about one Georgia. Um, I would not want to be on the legislature on their side because what's going to happen is they're going to have to choose. And, and that doesn't just impact the election, but that also impacts um, – how we do next session. I mean, is that going to impact what we actually 
focused on legislatively. I mean, we, there was a lot of talk about mental health issues, um, public safety, um, you know, so what happens at that point? Um, if I could jump Emma, in here. jump in. Yeah, sure. um, <laughs> great mind. I think that, um, you know, Eric Erickson wrote this morning, I believe, that Abrams is the only winner of this new dynamic because Republicans, as we've said, will have to choose sides and could prevent any real legislative accomplishments from, you know, resentment from Purdue people, maybe preventing Kemp from getting any wins. Um, on the on the donor side, though, I will say I've heard that um, in in making calls leading up to this, that Senator Purdue has told some people that, um, you know, I understand you have to stick with the incumbent governor. Don't worry about me. I'll come back to you later. So, I mean, he's a smart, he, as, as Eric said he's a, a smart man and understands the dynamic and um i would imagine from trump world there's lots of money to go around um at this moment but the question that i have for for eric and for david and and anyone really on this panel is the difference between this kind of dynamic of who you need to get on your team in a governor's race versus a senate race since the governor has this tie directly to the state legislature how important has it become more important, really, to, to get these battle lines drawn sooner? Well, the, go- the governor the governor is a very powerful position in the state and has large tentacles. And, you know, the governor makes thousands of appointments to boards and commissions. And not only do they, you know, have to work with the legislature, and as David can tell you, I mean, there are legislators that want to get their legislation passed this year so they can go home when they're on the ballot And so they're going to need the governor's support. So I think the governor has a lot of levers of power, uh, not just in the legislature, but but also, you know, all around the state. I mean, the money that is coming in from whether it's federal dollars or state appropriated dollars that gets pushed down to local governments. Um, So there's a lot of contact with people at the grassroots level uh, that that the governor has. It's It's a lot different than a Senate race and having worked for both a Georgia U.S. senator and a Georgia governor, I saw firsthand the difference between those two offices. And that's why I said before, David Perdue's gonna have to work this. This is not just like being a US Senate senator that you fly in on the weekends or when the you know Senate's out of session and you do a few events in community. I mean he's gonna have a, he has a lot of ground that he's gonna have to uh, you know make up for, you know, to counter the governor who has deep ties to uh, to the state. Uh, yeah, it's it, yeah, Eric. I, I think you make a good point. He's going to uh, uh, the the race that Purdue ran uh, last year to me resembled uh, 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 Mac Mattingly's reelection campaign and Weish Fowler's reelection campaign. Uh, it was it was a, a lot of it was long distance. But but here's here's a, here's a question for both you and you and David. Okay, uh, you've got. Uh, Brian, Governor Brian Kemp has 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 backed Sonny Perdue, David Perdue's cousin, former governor, as uh, to become the next chancellor of the Georgia University system. So, do you pull that, or do you push that? Because if if you pull that, you're 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 kind of making a statement to David Perdue. But if you push Sonny Perdue into that slot, uh, do you do you does that come with a a, a uh, <coughs> Uh, uh, a uh, a promise of neutrality in the upcoming. Yeah, I, I guess my thought on that is, you know, even though they have the same last name and they're close, 
I think you got to look at both of these uh, in the, these gentlemen individually. I mean, you know, uh, Governor Purdue uh, has his own relationship with Governor Kemp. Uh, I think he spoke at a recent event for um, for Governor Kemp. Um, I don't think just because they're cousins that you need to just assume that they're one and the same. I have not had a conversation with Governor Purdue uh, about this because this is all so uh, so recent. But I think you have to look at these things independently. Yeah, I don't, you know, go ahead, David. No, I was going to say, I I don't know how you reward. uh, Everybody knows of the Purdue family, and I don't know how you would reward someone that, you know, many students have questioned in the first place becoming chancellor. But uh, I don't know how you reward that when they have uh, decided to run against the sitting governor. So I I would say you push it back at best, if, if not just kind of look at other options. Okay, so um, Emma, uh, it's, I find it fascinating to recall that one of the main reasons that Brian Kemp was able to win the Republican nomination for governor in 2018 was because Sonny and David Perdue went to then President Trump and, and, and said, this is a guy you need to get behind, and it was Donald Trump's uh, support that almost immediately changed the dynamics of that Republican primary and gave Brian Kemp uh, the nomination. Yeah, I mean, the iron, like you couldn't have written this screenplay better. Um, and you wouldn't, we wouldn't have believed it if you had written it also. Um, you know, the Kemp team is, is a little, uh, wants to be clear that they saw their, their rise coming before the Trump endorsement, but the Trump endorsement took it to a whole new level, as you said. And it, it just goes to show how this is really on this one issue, just on the 2020 election, that everything changed. And my colleague Jonathan Swan, you know, has pointed out on a national level, this is what's happening. Trump is continuing to try to install his own loyalists over whoever it might be who didn't support his um, his campaign against the 2020 election results. It's just it's wild to think that it was just it's really this one Thing, this one moment that has completely flipped things upside down. Yeah. Jim, I'm, I want to I'm not, I'm not, Go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I was just going to say, I, I'm not sure. Yes, that is the one thing that, you know, President Trump is obsessed over. But remember, there was also, uh, he was not very happy with the governor after the appointment of Senator Leffler over Doug Collins. And also, he made some derogatory comments when Governor Kemp opened up the state after shutdown during COVID. So I think that, you know, there's been a pattern of, of, of dislike. But again, I don't think you can take away from the governor's record, which is a good one. Well, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Emma, do you want to respond to that real quickly? No, I'm just going to say, yeah, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. It's true that there were, there were seeds of this before. Okay, so Jim, I, I don't want to forget um, what uh, uh, David Wilkerson pointed out to us a little while ago. It's for those of us who are involved in covering politics or being active in politics, as, as Eric and David are, uh, some of this may be kind of an exciting time where there's going to be a, a, a lot of tension. Uh, a lot of focus on this state, lots of money pouring into the state. But David made a good point, Jim. 
Already this morning, Jeff Duncan was on CNN uh, strongly backing Brian Kemp, saying, look it, the economy is in great shape. The reserve is in uh, great shape. We have low unemployment. He steered us through COVID-19 pretty successfully. Now, you may take issue. Some people will obviously take issue with all of the conclusions that Duncan reached there. But Duncan has made it clear he stands by Governor Kemp. And so I think the question now is, what can the people of Georgia who want to see their legislature accomplish major uh, pieces of business that can be of benefit to the whole state? David points out mental health is going to be a big focus it, if it, how is this going to tear everything apart? Well, like, like like Emma said just a few minutes ago, I mean, you're going to have a a a a, a Purdue faction in both the Senate caucus, the Republican caucus, and the House Republican caucus uh, that's going to be rather jealous of 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 giving uh, Brian Kemp a platform, any kind of platform. Uh, and so essentially you're going to have, you, you, you will, we will be going into the state legislative session with, with, with three factions. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have Democrats who are probably more united now than they've, they've ever been in, in, in a while. Uh, then you're going to have the Purdue faction and the, uh, and the Kemp faction. And, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Democrats, play with those two factions to see if they can build any alliances to actually get anything done. David? Yeah, I think a lot's also going to depend on what we do in the House. I mean, the, the one stable factor here is uh, Speaker Ralston. And if Speaker Ralston is able to continue to do what he's done in the last several years, which is bring together, you know, what we consider a fractured caucus on his side, then I think we can get some things done. Now, they may stop in the Senate because it's a little bit different over there. Um, you've got a lot stronger Trump faction than you do in the House. Um, that, that's going to be the big driver is, is what kind of legislation we see coming out of the House. And if we can do our job, I think Democrats have shown that we put good legislation first. I mean, we, we're not bomb throwers. We, we will work with the other side when we can and then you know, push back on things we don't believe in. But I think it's a, a lot's going to depend on what the House looks like next year. Uh, before we have to take a break, um, Eric, I, I want to address one other aspect of this uh, this morning. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this race in the weeks and months ahead. But um, last week, of course, the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, which is a, 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 obviously a significant statewide business organization, endorsed Brian Kemp. It was notable because in 2018, uh, they refused to take sides. They thought Stacey Abrams may have a good chance to be elected governor, and so they did not endorse uh, Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams. And now they've chosen sides. And, and there was a question raised on the show last week as to whether David Perdue, who styles himself as one of the outstanding business leaders and because of that should have a chance to uh, be elected in those days to Senate now as governor, whether to some extent this uh, hurts his ability to, to uh, uh, talk about himself in those terms. But on the other hand, the people who, I mean, the Georgia Chamber isn't going to sway that many votes in a primary, is it? No, but what it does do is it shows momentum and it gets to the point that I made earlier about both of these candidates are going to have to work it. And it's just the evidence of Brian Kemp not leaving any stone unturned and in anticipation of a possible, you know, Purdue candidacy, 
he and his people reached out to the Georgia Chamber and got the Georgia Chamber endorsement early. They're not going to pull their endorsement. So, you know, look, endorsements, what they do is they show energy and momentum, and but they're not right. going to sway an actual election. And, you know, I think that that was a smart move on the part of, of the Kemp team to get the chamber on board early. Emma? One thing I'm thinking about is um, State Representative Vernon Jones, former State Representative Vernon Jones, who's also in this primary, who, as we know, has, you know, former Democrat, avid Trump supporter now who has pushed all of President Trump's um, theories about the election. And, you know, how does that affect the theory that Purdue will could win this? Because, you know, you have to presume he'll convince some of the far right, maybe stop the steal faction of the party, right? So I'm curious um, if, if that's an argument to be made. All right. It's one of those things we'll get to talk about in the weeks and months ahead as this campaign uh, uh, unfolds. Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way and come back, talk more about this, um, and also talk about the Abrams side of the equation on today's Political Rewind. We're joined on Political Rewind today by Emma Hurt, reporter for Axios Atlanta, Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Representative David Wilkerson, Democrat of Powder Springs, and Republican insider Eric Tannenblatt. Um, Emma, you conducted an interview with Lauren Gro Wargo. I think it was her first interview since the formal announcement that Abrams was in the race, and you talked to her about what strategies, what messaging uh, the Abrams campaign is going to be using uh, next year. I thought the very first point you make is that uh, there, the, the line is people are in historic pain through this pandemic that has driven and furthered racial and income inequality in the state. You say that that's the organizing principle that they're using. Tell us more. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was an interesting conversation because there were a lot of the same, um, you know, structural arguments we've heard from the Abrams campaign, and we saw them outline in their sort of postmortem playbook um, regarding the math and the mechanics of how to win, how to register voters, who to target, who to register, and how to build, you know, what they call multiracial, multi-ethnic coalition that's, um, you know, uh, among white voters and among voters of color, both very diverse kinds of people. But beyond the math comes the COVID response, which really, as you said, is is the central organizing principle that they're working on. And and while the issue of voting has become the national issue that, that Abrams is known for, and since the 2018 election she's spoken about since not conceding and, you know, fighting the state in the courts, it's not that that, that I heard the most about. It was it was COVID, it was healthcare, Medicaid expansion again, which we know was a big issue for them in 2018. And, um, and the other thing that was interesting, I thought was, you know, I think there's some um, lots of talk that, oh, she can't possibly win with Biden's approval rating so low, the national headwinds could really drag her down. And the pushback from the Abrams camp, of course, there would be pushback, right? But the pushback comes as, well, what about the state? picture? What about the state headwinds on Georgia Republicans like the Purdue primary that we just talked about? Hey, hey Emma, let me, let me ask you, um, the, the Purdue, Purdue Kemp primary is a big, will be a big factor uh, next, next year. 
Uh, but also, probably toward the end of June, we're going to get a decision on the Mississippi abortion law. Uh, did what did what did the uh, Abrams campaign say that, that that role is likely to play? I mean, how is how is that likely to be used as a motivator by Democrats? You know, that didn't come up, but I, I think it's fair to to assume that, given you know Georgia's um, Georgia's anti-abortion law, that that will get localized here in Georgia quickly, um, regardless of, you know, what the, what the verdict is, a reminder to voters that, that Kemp has, has fought that battle against abortion here, too. Uh, David, um, you've already mentioned uh, that the Abrams campaign, it looks like a real tagline for the campaign is, we're one Georgia. And um, it's fascinating that that line came into play when she announced last week, even as we see what's happening now to the Republican Party in the state. And I think the question is going to be, um, are Georgians persuaded by this notion uh, that Abrams is going to put forward that we have a lot more in common than the differences that have driven us apart, and we're ready for someone who wants to bring us together. In this toxic environment, I don't think it's necessarily a safe bet to assume that's how people uh, uh, feel. No, I agree. And that's why it's going to take uh, getting out our message. Uh, Democrats, unfortunately, have historically not been the best at communicating our successes. So I think what Stacey's going to be able to do is talk about what has been done nationally under the Biden administration and how that has impacted everyday Georgians, because we don't get to see that. So when we send you know, $2 billion to the state, the governor controls that money and he gives out bonuses to law enforcement, which we support. Um, he shores up, you know, he helps teachers out, which we support. Um, we can put money into public safety, which we support. But the governor takes credit for it while at the same time bashing D.C. for spending money. So I think what Stacey's going to be able to do is talk about how we can work with the federal government when we need to and then push back on the things that may not fit Georgia and and she can effectively communicate that. So I think people did show with the last election, they're tired. Um, they're tired of people like Margie Taylor Greene, who is trying to purify the Republican Party. And and they want to see somebody bring us together. They want their kids to be back in school. So I think Stacey's going to be effectively be able to communicate that um, to Georgia because she's actually in Georgia and has that uh, the, the pulpit now to, to kind of get that message out. But you I know, do Eric, think Georgia's that... already. Well, go ahead. I apologize for uh, interrupting you at the end there, David. Uh, Eric, no, no, I'm uh, just saying it, I think Georgians are ready. Um, Eric, it is interesting that the uh, the Abrams campaign, that Lauren Wargo had an answer for uh, ready for Emma's question about the Biden's uh, uh, low approval ratings. Um, they understand they've got to contend with that. It's not the only thing that they're contending with. Obviously, they're contending with the fact that off-year elections tend to favor the party out of power. Uh, The uh, inflation is high, and there are an awful lot of people who don't see that there's going to be a big impact on inflation in the year ahead. It's the economy, stupid. It always is. Uh, The pandemic continues, and although it's Republicans uh, who are often the ones who resist the mitigation efforts that the Biden administration has made, he is getting blamed uh, for a lot of the uh, problems with the pandemic. So it isn't as if there are, I mean, it's true that Democrats have some significant challenges in her race for governor and in races around the country next year. 
Absolutely. I mean, she is, I believe the Democratic nominee in this case, Stacey, uh, is going to be at a disadvantage next November. I mean, every day in politics is a lifetime. And, you know, we're talking today a snapshot in time with, you know, Kemp and Purdue about to embroil in a Republican primary that will end in May or July. But, you know, there'll be an effort to unify around whoever the winner is. And there'll be time to do that. And there'll be a candidate, you know, to help unify Democratic uh, opponent to help unify all of the Republicans. Um, but but, you know, the climate po- politically, historically, you know, the party in power in the White House does terribly in their first midterm elections. And given the president's current approval rating, I don't see it improving much, although, you know, that that could change. But if it's where it is today and given historical trends, I think that. Uh, you know, Stacey's going to be at a disadvantage no matter who she's uh, who she's running against. And I think it's going to be. And let's also not forget that there's a U.S. Senate race and uh, that is going to get a lot of attention. And, you know, as much as you know, you're going to want to try and localize the Georgia governor's race, it's going to get swept up in the national uh, narrative just because of all of the other national races and a Senate race here in Georgia. Emma? Another thing that I asked about is, you know, what are some of the new assets and liabilities of an Abrams now versus a candidate in 2017? And one of the big assets she outlined is she doesn't need to build name ID, right? Um, she certainly does not at a national level. But the flip side of that sword that Crowargo acknowledges, she also doesn't need to build name ID among Republicans. Republicans don't like her and know, maybe know her more, and she becomes more of a motivating force there. Now, now, Grover does not believe that to be a, a liability in and of itself, given the Republican dynamics. But um, I mean, that that has changed the game here. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way uh, right now and come back because there are a few other issues I'd really like to talk with this panel about. And I do want to spend a couple minutes talking about the loss of Bob Dole over the weekend. R- truly one of the great American politicians, and um, also just, I think, safe to say, a great American. We'll be back in just a minute. State Representative David Wilkerson of Powder Springs, Eric Tannenblatt, uh, Emma Hurt, Jim Galloway joined me uh, for today's show. Uh, Jim, over the weekend, we learned that Omicron has shown up in Georgia, and public health officials, it's now in, I think, at least 14 states, and public health officials believe that it's only the beginning of what could be a significant wave, although, as we talked about on Friday when we did an entire show on uh, COVID, no one really knows what's going to happen there. But, But I think there's a reasonable question to ask here, is if it's true that President Biden's approval rating has been driven down in part by the continued spread of COVID, uh, whether we think this new variant or COVID in general and the way in which Brian Kemp has handled COVID, COVID here in Georgia is going to play much of a role in next year's uh, races here. You know, it, it, it's it's really interesting uh, because Georgia has uh, uh, kind of the, 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 we are the kind of a, we run counter to the presidential cycle. So 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 you have a, a situation where both the economy and the pandemic are going to be the two issues, and 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 in, in, very, I think, in a very important way, 
uh, Brian Kemp and and uh, Joe Biden are tied together uh, because the success of the the economy isn't you you can't really get state specific in uh, when it when it comes to the the economy. Uh, nor and, and I think the same thing applies to the pandemic. Uh, and you have to wonder if that's going to be one of the the wedges that uh, David Perdue uses. Uh, if he's going to, if he's the the same argument that, he, that you can make against Joe Biden, probably can be made uh, against uh, Brian Kemp. Eric, yeah, I mean, I think I think Jim's right um, about uh, you know this is not we're not in a presidential cycle. Although you know it's um it, 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 look, I mean, Brian has done a, a, a good job. Uh, you know, seeing the state through this. And I think, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID and this new variant in the future. So we don't know how it's going to play in Georgia. But, you know, like it or not, the president's the president and he's going to have to deal with this. I would not say that his approval rating is tied just to uh, COVID. I think that it's a combination of what happened in Afghanistan, uh, the failure to get the infrastructure and build back better plans passed on the schedule that he first set out. And then it does tie into COVID because what's happening is there's a narrative of incompetence. People like Joe Biden, but they're just wondering if the administration is competent. And I think that's what's going to play into uh, how he handles this next, next COVID variant moving into the new year. Um, David, I, I don't think we want to, um, you know, Forget about the fact, neglect to mention that uh, 26,000 Georgians have died of COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic. A million three have confirmed cases of COVID, and there are probably many more that we don't have uh, uh, data about right now. So in, in some ways, there is an argument to be made that, yes, Kemp was able to balance keeping the keeping businesses open despite all of the pressure on him to shut keep things shut down. Uh, but I think Democrats are going to be able to make the case that he didn't take some of the mitigation steps that uh, might have been even more helpful. Yes, uh, I definitely agree with that. There are a lot of people who now have an empty seat at their Thanksgiving table, won't be there for Christmas because they died. Um, they didn't have health care, especially in the rural areas. And it's not just the people that have passed away. It's it's those that have had to put off surgeries, um, those that didn't get cancer treatment. Um, I think that all comes into play when people start looking at, uh, you know, how effective we've done this. Uh, a lot of credit needs to go to the businesses themselves. I mean, if you look at what businesses have done as far as the drive-through service, uh, curbside service, they've done that. That was not a government mandate. That was just business adjusting to the new reality. Uh, but we still have a shortage of workers, and, and I think that's partly with the governor not recognizing that employees won't go to work if they don't have health care. Um, and so they're putting their lives first because they have you know families to worry about. So um, I just think those are some of the things that people are thinking about that they'll consider next year when they go to the ballot box. Um, Emma, it, it, you know, the public war or the war on public health officials, the partisan war, has gotten even more heated uh, recently. Um, you know, Ted Cruz, Senator Cruz, is now calling uh, Anthony Fauci the most dangerous bureaucrat in the country. Laura Logan, who's now doing a show for, I think it's for the Fox uh, Digital uh, Service, has compared Fauci to Joseph Mengele, 
the Nazi doctor who experimented primarily on uh, Jewish uh, concentration camp uh, victims. And uh, this, the overheated rhetoric uh, doesn't show any sign of letting up. And the question is how it enters into the political cycle, election cycle next year. Indeed. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Bill, but I think I have to interrupt our programming to tell people that David Perdue has released his announcement video um, yep. just minutes yep. ago. Yep. The most yep. the okay. shocking Thanks. breaking news. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, yes. And I think uh, to, to my to, to what we've heard from the Abrams campaign, they will continue to point this out, um, ref- referring to, you know, the lawsuits that have been filed by Governor Kemp and, and Attorney General Chris Carr against the Biden administration, which, um, you know, some perceive as uh, politicizing, further politicizing this, this pandemic. So it, it will be an issue. I guess the the question is, um, you know, a lot of people are also fed up with uh, mandates. And, and so it is also something that speaks to how some voters do, in fact, feel. Jim, you know, uh it's going to be interesting, especially uh, how, how uh, Stacey Abrams directs her her messaging on the pandemic and on on the healthcare crisis to rural Georgia, uh, because this has been the this has been kind of the 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 secret strength of the of the Republican Party in Georgia, just pumping up, you know, seventy, eighty, even ninety percent of 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 voters in a in a in a in a downstate county. Uh, that has made the difference for them statewide, and you know if it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners already know this, but but NPR, NPR has had this uh, interesting uh, study come out, and 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 uh, and other news outlets have 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 had similar results that 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 uh, you know in, in a in a county that that voted for uh, a county that voted for Donald Trump nationally, uh, the, the deaths are the, are three times higher. Than counties that voted for Joe Biden, and that's a you know in rural Georgia that that's that's a, that could be a very penetrating message if it's carried if 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 it's if it's if it's presented rightly and 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 properly and and I'm I'm very interested in 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 seeing how that portion of uh, of the of the pandemic debate plays out. Eric, I know this is part of that right-wing messaging that Fox News carries forward that so many, uh, we think, Republicans embrace that you've been dismayed about for quite a while, Eric. Uh, Yeah, I I have. I mean, I I think it's up to our, uh, you know, political leaders to talk the truth. And if there's information that's being spread that's not accurate, they don't need to continue to fuel falsities um, and that it's dangerous because people look up to their leaders and if their leaders are just parroting, uh, you know, the things that we're hearing uh, that aren't accurate, um, I think it's dangerous. And, and so, um, you know, ho- hopefully uh, truth wins out uh, in, in the end, but it is, it is dangerous and does have a lot of impact on, on voters. Uh, David, you know, another uh, message that right-wing media and certainly politicians like uh, former President Trump and members of the Republican Party in the, in, the, in the state 
legislature continue to uh, advocate for is, is the fake election in Georgia in 2020. And one of the things that I thought was interesting to read was the Purdue campaign essentially uh, saying we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today, partly meaning the election of Ossoff um, uh, and, and uh, Warnock, um, the, the fact that uh, uh, Biden now is in control of three branches of government, that he's got programs that Republicans are fighting against. We wouldn't be in this mess if Republican leaders had done their job, partly meaning if they had understood that they should be fighting against whether this was a legitimate presidential election in 2020. David? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking back to the emails that I get daily about demanding an audit and, and, and criticizing Republicans for not stepping forward. So, yes, I mean, that is that is still out there to this day. And that's going to be one of the challenges that Governor Kemp's going to have. It's not just the voters um, at, at their homes. It's, it's people that go to these Republican Party breakfast meetings where they're demanding that something be done about the stolen election. Now, when you walk somebody through how the process actually works, then you may be able to make an impact. But you can't do that to everybody. And so I think, uh, you know, Secretary Raffensperger, as well as Governor Kemp, are going to face some serious headwinds in their primary. And then how does that translate to the general election? Will people stay at home because – once again, Governor Kemp and Raffensperger allowed something to happen um, if they do get the nomination. So I think it's a real concern for them. Um, it's a motivating for us because we've seen the results of Senate Bill 202 that, that they rushed through last year. A, num- a significant number of people that would have been able to vote absentee before were not able to vote just because they missed the accelerated deadline for absentee ballots. I think in, if you take Cobb County, for example, 92% of the people who were denied ballots uh, because they applied too late, would have been accepted under the old deadlines. So I think they're going to face some real challenges after the primary. All right. Um, I want to take the last couple minutes of the show to just talk for a few minutes about uh, the loss of Bob Dole, who died over the weekend at age uh, 98. Eric Tannenblatt, uh, you worked on one of Bob Dole's presidential campaigns, and I'd love to start by asking you some of your um, memories of uh, working with Bob Dole. Well, I, I, I appreciate you, you know, giving some time for this bill. I mean, it really was a loss for our country. Bob Dole was a, a real American hero. He epitomized a compassionate conservative. I first uh, met Bob Dole when I was working for President Bush on the Americans with Disabilities Act. He was a very big advocate uh, for the disabled community uh, and, of course, for, for veterans. Um, and then when I worked for Senator Coverdale, I got to work, you know, see him firsthand when I was working for Senator Coverdale and he was the leader in the Senate. And then I had the honor in 1996 to run his general election campaign here in Georgia, which, by the way, he did carry Georgia in Bill Clinton's reelection campaign in 1996. He um, he was just a true uh, American. He had a great wit. Uh, he was a conservative through and through. Uh, he could disagree with people on policy, but he had that ability to respect people. Uh, you could just tell from the accolades that came over the last 24 hours from everyone from Speaker Pelosi to Bill Clinton to Barack Obama that he had, uh, you know, people that really respected him and, and loved him on both sides of the aisle. I do want to just give um, just make one comment. Senator Mac Mattingly, his name was referenced earlier, both he and his wife, Leslie, were very close to Senator Dole and Elizabeth Dole and you know, my thoughts and prayers are to them and the whole Dole family, but uh, it was a great loss for America. 
Yeah, Leslie Mattingly, who is, uh, uh, just said, uh, she posted on Facebook today, she reminded us that a few years ago, uh, Bob Dole had said that Fort Benning was in a, ver- a very important, formative part of his life when he did his basic training there. And the uh, Mattingly's arranged for him to be flown down to Fort Benning again because he had said he really wanted to go back and see it because I think Leslie says he had eaten enough dirt, South Georgia dirt and wanted to see it again. So we're thinking about the Mattingly's today. Day as well, Jim. Yeah, I think you have to remember where Bob Dole came from. I mean, he was—I mean, he was—he was born in born in the Midwest and just abject poverty. Uh, he he made it into college, and then World War II came along. He volunteered. He, he was a second lieutenant in uh, Italy when when his his shoulder just got shattered by some German machine gun fired. I think his arm was and his his right arm was paralyzed the, the rest of his life. Uh, and but. He is, you know, he was he was very conservative. You could not call him anything but conservative, and yet he supported the 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 sixty four and sixty five civil rights acts, the Voting Right Act. Uh, as as Eric mentioned, he was he was the force behind the Americans with Dis- Disabilities Act. None of those things would be would be acceptable within the current Republican Party, at least on the yeah. on the national I, level. And that's, I mean, that's this is this is this is what we're losing here. I, I got to know Bob Dole, uh, as well as a reporter gets to know someone they cover back when I covered his 88 and uh, 96 presidential runs. And in 88 was especially important to me because I went to Russell, Kansas, which is where he grew up. It's in the middle of nowhere, a tiny rural community where he grew up. And after the grievous wound that he suffered in World War II, it's where he came back and convalesced, basically lying in bed for as long as a year before he could get out before he could recover physically and emotionally. And I got to Russell ahead of his announcement there, before most other reporters had arrived. And one of the greatest experiences of my career was that Bob and Elizabeth Dole walked me through that house where he uh, 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 lay in bed trying to figure out how to face life. And he was beloved by the people in that community. It was their efforts that brought him back. Um, And that's something I'll never forget. And also the fact that his entire life was filled with pain because of his war wounds. So he was a war hero. He was a politician of, uh, of enormous importance to this country, and he will definitely be missed. We're completely out of time for today's show. My thanks to Jim Galloway, Representative Dave Wilkerson, Eric Tannenblatt, and Emma Hurt for being with us. We're back again tomorrow. In the meantime, please take care and stay healthy. See you all tomorrow.